Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just take a few moments and worship the Lord. Hallelujah. There's a sweet presence of God here today, isn't there? Hallelujah. Any one of those songs, we could just sit on them and sing them and sing them. There's just a presence of God. Let's worship. Respond to the Holy Spirit's drawing. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, we love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's just take a few more minutes and tell the Lord how much we love him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking our place. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for hope, Jesus. Thank you for peace. Thank you for joy. Thank you for so many things, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the sense of your presence here. You know, God, we think of heaven, and many times when the King comes, we'll just stop everything and worship him. Hallelujah. So we today just stop everything for a while, just worship you. Hallelujah. And now, Lord, we ask you to speak to us through your word, your word, everlasting word. The word that shall abide when this world is burned up by fire one day and a new heaven, new earth made, your word will still be here. Hallelujah. Bless us today, we pray, as we feed on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Thank you, worship team. Oh, those songs are so good, weren't they? <laughs> Just... Any song that points us to the wonderful Lord and Savior Jesus, it's a great song, isn't it? Today I want to share a message with you. Simply the message is more beyond. So it's about death and it's about heaven. And uh, I think it's pretty positive. I remember just a while after I was saved, just a few weeks after I became a Christian, I was uh, working on the Don River with some guys and we were around a fire on the Don River in Toronto. And I stared into the fire, and it dawned on me. I've been saved just a couple of weeks. I wasn't afraid of death anymore. It was amazing. 
Now, some of you grew up as a Christian, in a Christian home, I should say, and uh, you heard your parents, you heard your Sunday school teacher talk about heaven and with such confidence that you never really were in a position where I used to be, and that was not knowing anything about the good news. But I just remember how real that was. I knew I wasn't afraid to die anymore. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) And I hope that today, if there's somebody here who doesn't have that same confidence that you'll make things, get things right with the Lord. And what you do is you realize Jesus paid the way so you could get to heaven, paid the way to forgive your sins. You ask Jesus to forgive you. Amen. Come into your heart and life. And you'll know that assurance that I had of sins forgiven. But there's much more beyond what we could ever imagine. You know, last week I was doing a funeral in a small community in Ontario for a cousin of mine. After the funeral was over, I spoke with the director and she was just a wonderful lady. And uh, she'd been doing this directing for some time. She said two things to me. She said, uh, I've never heard a message about death at a funeral that better explained it than what I heard today. I'm thinking, I didn't say anything new. The other thing she said that kind of shocked me was she said, you know, at funerals, they don't talk about death. (laughs) You know, obviously, you know, if if I go to a funeral and you're a Christian... You know, I might make a comment or two about death. I'd talk more about heaven and about that person and the example. But when a person that I'm doing a funeral for, I'm not sure where they were when they died, uh, I'm going to talk about death. One of the first things I do when I get one of those funerals is I say to the people, you know, there was a time when I was afraid to die, but I'm not afraid anymore, and I go on from there. Amazing. What's going on? What's happening? (laughs) Anyway, my pastor, Tonks, said one Sunday morning, how many here want to go to heaven? Everybody put up their hand, right? And he says, right now. (laughs) Then he said, "Why, why is it we all say we want to go to heaven? And then when we get sick, we run to the doctor like I did this week and get some stay here medicine. Well, what is going to happen when we die? When I give my last breath, what is going to happen when I die? What is heaven really going to be like? Joe Lewis said, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. (laughs) Good point. You know, death is not the end. Life is just a vapor. appears for a little while, it says. There's this dread of death that I talked about. It's universal. And uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says, Jesus came to die on the cross to destroy the works of the devil, who has the power over death. And then he said, to deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, I'm part of the Protestant the, the, the non-Orthodox church, right? The, the Roman Catholics and the Protestants are on one side and the Orthodox on the other. I just used to think the Orthodox was another form of Catholic. But there's one cardinal 
uh, doctrine for the Orthodox Church. And they believe primarily that Jesus came to set us free from the fear of death, and they base it on that passage. We, Protestant and Roman Catholics, say the main reason Jesus came was to take away our sins. Both sides believe both things, but they say that was the number one reason. We say this is the number one reason. And I'm still on our side. But isn't it interesting that this verse in Hebrews says that he came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So I'm reading a book right now, or my wife took it, and she's reading it, called Slavery to Death. And so it's about that. Shakespeare said, death is a fearful thing. The weariest and most, most loathed worldly life that age, ache, penury, and imprisonment can lay on nature is just going to be like paradise compared to what we fear of death. Isn't that interesting? You know, there's illustrations and indications that this truth about the dread of death is universal. There's no question about it. Yet, when I go to the Bible and I read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I hear a different story from some people. The psalmist said in 116, that fourth psalm of the great Hebrew and Egyptian Hallel, 116 said, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Imagine that. So God looks down at the person who has lived a godly life, and he says, they're right now ready to go into eternity. This is precious. You know why? Because it's graduation. Amen. <laughs> they made it. They're not going to fail. The devil can't trip them up anymore. So it's a precious thing. And when I come to the New Testament, I hear Paul the Apostle say things about death that other people would say, what's he talking about? He says, uh, for me to die is to gain. It's going to be better if I die. So that's Paul the Apostle as he talks to us in the book of Philippians. And also in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, for we know that if this tent body, in other words, of our earthly home is destroyed, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I honestly tell you, I don't get up every morning and say, oh, I wish I could just be in heaven. <laughs> but for Paul, who had this wonderful experience with the Lord that was so close to Jesus, he said, I'd rather be at home with the Lord. Paul's attitude toward death, I think, is what we need to shoot for. That should be our attitude toward death. Now, I have met men and women and teens who have sometimes said similar words, I'd rather die than be here, but it's usually related to some kind of overwhelming sorrow or pain or sickness or difficulty that they're facing in life. It's not really that hard to believe. This week I was on my way up to Timmins and Sioux Lookout. And the last time I went to Sioux Lookout, I was checking out at the motel room where I was staying and there was a memorial on the desk. And it was about a young man who had died and it said, now he is happy and at rest. Everything is fine now. Then it said below it, Donations accepted to the Liver and Kidney Foundation. So, not judging here, I'm just my mind wandered a little bit. 
because I know of so many young men whose lives have been ruined by alcohol. I know dear friends who have had teenagers and young men die of liver disease and other related disease that were caused by the drugs that they were in. So he's happy now. He's happier because he was in awful condition, I guess. Before that, I don't know the details. But I do know in the early 2000s, when I first started work with the First Nations, we were making sure that we could try to plant a church wherever there was not a Pentecostal church or a full gospel church. There was one community where there was a full gospel church, and uh, but I was puzzled, and so was everybody in the government too. But there were 23 individual teenage suicides that fall, mostly girls. 23 in a community of 2,000 at that time. The Kanjikum, you've heard it in the news. Either the first or second highest in Canada, it goes back and forth. So I went there with my friend, and we uh, preached in the church that was there. We asked a lot of questions. We found out some things about the five churches that were in that community at that time. I hope things have changed. And that was that uh, whenever a teenage person committed suicide in the funeral service was given, in every case, regardless of denomination, they said, they're happier now, they're in heaven. And so these young teenagers, that as they looked ahead to life, thought, you know, it's not worth living. I don't want, I don't love myself, I don't like myself, whatever the reason. They thought things would be better, so let's end it here. Well, that's not what Paul the Apostle's talking about. When he speaks of death as gain, he's not trying to escape the burdens of life, but instead, Paul is is, is basically saying that, you know, I, I love people, I love my work, I love Jesus, and I love life, really. I, I just, but I don't, but I'd rather be with Jesus right now. This morning, I want to just touch on the answers to a few questions, obviously not exhaustive. What is the Christian view of death? What happens after we die if we are a Christian? And a little bit on what heaven is going to be like. Now, that could be, you think we're going to be here all day, well... Take it easy. I'm not going to do that to you. What is the Christian view of death anyway? I want to take two metaphors from the New Testament. Now, this is going to be just so encouraging to you. This is what the Bible says about death in the New Testament. These these metaphors that are used. The first one is used when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's with Peter, James, and John. And he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And a cloud descends... And the cloud lifts. Well, lo and behold, Elijah and Moses, who had died but never really died because they lived forever, are standing there talking to Jesus. That's the setting. So it says here in the scripture, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which was about to take place, or was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah, who are already in heaven by that time, or at least in paradise, they talk to Jesus about his departure. The word is exodus. 
So Moses and Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. But they didn't use the word die. They said, we want to talk to you about your exodus. Interesting. Interesting word. So let's follow it along a little while. Peter, one of the three that overheard this conversation, when it came time for him to die, he said in 2 Peter 1.15, I will make every effort so that after my exodus, my departure, you'll be able at any time to recall these things. Peter said, I'm about to exodus. The only other time it's found in the New Testament, this Greek word exodus, or as we know exodus, we're familiar with that word, is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, when it says, By faith Joseph, when he was at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave direction concerning his bones. So let's think about this for a little bit. It's a metaphor of death, okay? It's a metaphor. The second book in the Bible is Exodus. The whole book of the Bible, or first part of the book of the Bible, Exodus, is about the people who were in bondage in Egypt are now being rescued by Moses and taken from the bondage of the Egyptians out of slavery and brought into on their way to the promised land. And so that's basically the picture here. So when we die, think of it this way. We are about ready to be set free from bondage. Isn't that beautiful? We're about set free from, we're be given liberty that we've, we've never had before. Well, let's go to the second word. And it's only found once in the New Testament. It's the second word. We've often heard it used during times of funeral. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, Paul said, for the time of my departure, in English, of my translation, has come. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award to me and to all those who are longing or loving his appearance, his coming. And so he says, after my departure, he uses a different word this time. He uses a sailor's word or a nautical term. Analusios, or any, pardon me, Analusios. Analusios, often in the Bible, in the Greek, is translated into English, release. So Paul said, the time of my release is coming. But it was a nautical term, had to do with ships and, and sailing. It suggests that there's this ship. You are the ship. And you've been moored or tied to the shoreline. And now at death, the ropes are flung off. The anchors are lifted. And the ship is now moving out into the, out of the harbor into the wide, boundless sea. Now, I know a lot of you love a lot of those old hymns. <laughs> and the opposite is what we always sing, right? But for years, Christians have thought of death as coming into harbor. But in Paul's mind, it's the opposite. When you and I die... We're going to be released from the dock or the, the, the wharf or whatever you call it. And we're going to be set out into the wild, boundless ocean. Summarizing then, death from the Christian perspective is going out from slavery into freedom, exodus. Going out from the limitations of the harbor into the unlimited life that's represented by the sea or the ocean. Unlimited. It's going out from burdens and bondage into freedom and spaciousness. Death for the Christian whose salvation has been paid for by Christ on the cross 
means finding a way out of this bondage, this slavery, this body of limitation into all kinds of freedom and what's associated with it, unlimited, unrestrained, and unrestricted life. Hallelujah. I'm watching my voice, so I don't strain it because it's been giving me trouble this week. But I just want to shout that from the mountaintop, so just pretend I'm doing that once in a while. I'm pretty excited about this. To Paul, death was like a ship being released from the shoreline and led out into the sea so that it can fulfill the purpose for which it was built in the first place. We are a ship, but we're tied down right now. And we're getting ready to sail into the boundless sea. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To the purpose that we've been constructed, we've brought into this world for that reason. Death is not the end, it's the beginning. The Christian church has misunderstood the true meaning of death for a long time. And that's why some of the hymns that we sing say, you know, that we, we, we come to the end of our life out in this wild sea, and now we come into harbor where it's safe. And there's truth in that, but that's not what the Bible words teach us about death. It's the exact opposite. Rudyard Kipling understood this and uh, in his writing called Ship That Found Itself. He said, uh, when, or he, said, he writes, when did the ship find itself? In harbor? No. <laughs> but upon the mighty deep, departure is not running into harbor away from the storms. It is going out into all the splendor of life. There's an old hymn that says, safe home, safe home in port. Torn ropes, shattered deck, ripped sails, and shortened provisions. And not only once a wreck, but all the joys upon the shore to tell our voyage perils are o'er, <laughs> said uh, J.F. Wink in night, uh, Winks in 1872. And that's tr- there's a picture of truth, <coughs> there, a variation. But I don't believe that's the, the real truth about death. It's not coming into harbor. It's being released to go out into that boundless sea. You ever stand on, say, Georgian Bay or one of the Great Lakes, and you just can't, you cannot see the other side. I mean, the oceans are like that. And that's what heaven is. You cannot see it. And we're going to be released out into this unknown. But that's what death is for all of us. G. Campbell Morgan said, After my departure, the anchor will be lifted, the ropes flung off, and I shall feel the thrill and the force of endless life wrapping me round about and bearing me into its bosom. For far too long, we talked about death as if we're coming into harbor and to rest and to sleep. And when the Bible clearly makes, makes it clear in the New Testament that it's not a coming into harbor, it's a being released from the harbor into the purpose of what we came into this world to become in the hereafter. Not freedom from work, but after death, an infinite capacity to work. Some of us think of heaven as a place, oh good, I can put my feet up now, I made it. <laughs> no, no. You're beginning of a new body, and you're going to have such endless energy and an infinite capacity to serve the Lord. And he's got work for us to do up there, you know. There's a lot of things going to happen in heaven that we, we, are, we, we don't even know the half of yet. The apostle said, for me to live is Christ. Let me give you this simple idea of death. For Paul, let's, let's focus on three words, good, better, and best. 
or easy for remember, to remember. So Paul says, uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. That's the better part. So let's go to good. What is good? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So to the Christians in Philippi, he said, I know God wants me to stay here. And so I'd love to be with Jesus right now, but really I need to stay here. So it's good that I stay here. Good. Better that I go to be with Jesus. Well, what's best then? What is best? Well, Paul writes about best too as well. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We know that if the body that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this body we groan, longing for it to put on its heavenly body. Well, that's what I was feeling like this week. I was not feeling too good. For while we're still in this body, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed. Oh, what's he mean? But that we'll be further clothed. So I wasn't really longing this week to die when I was not feeling well. Instead, I was just longing for this body to get better. Right? So Paul's saying, I'm looking for the best. The best for Paul was not to die and go to be with Jesus. That's so not the best. Or that was better. The best is if Jesus comes and he meets me and I don't have to go through that period where I, our bodies are buried, we're unclothed, our spirits go to heaven, our body is put on earth, and one day in the future, they'll be reunited and we'll be given a new body. So Paul is saying, the best is, Jesus, would you come? <laughs> the rapture, that's the very best, that Jesus would come so that I wouldn't be unclothed. It's going to be glorious to be in the presence of the Lord. One moment, if I die now, one moment in his, in his presence will be just so amazing. I'll be the endless joy. But even better than better, the best, is that if Jesus would come, I didn't have to be unclothed. In other words, my spirit would never have to leave, but I would be transformed. Remember what Jesus said? That when he comes again in second, First Thessalonians chapter 4, he said that the trumpet will sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we who are still alive shall be raised up to meet the Lord in the air. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be given an imperishable body, an immortal body. Hallelujah. Isn't this exciting? So understand it. Paul's idea of death was, yeah, I better stay here. That's good for everybody. It would be better if I could just die and go to heaven and then I'd be with you, Jesus. But even better yet, you would come and get me and I didn't have to go through this problem of being unclothed. <laughs> I don't think the people up in heaven right now are saying, oh, I just don't feel full, fulfilled. <laughs> but they are in the sense that they haven't been given a new body and a new body yet. Well, anyway. What gain is there from death? Well, there's a lot of things to gain, and there's a lot of things I don't know about the hereafter and what it's going to be like. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is my best default verse when I don't know what to say to somebody who's arguing with me. On an intellectual level, I say, well, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but 
Those things that are revealed belong to me and to my children forever. <laughs> I don't know everything about heaven, but I know enough, and I've, we've been given enough that what I'm saying to you today is gospel truth according to Jesus and Paul and the apostle that when we die, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not going to go into some soul sleep. We're going to instantly be in the presence of the Lord. Therefore, death has lost its sting. The grave has no victory over us as Christians because we know the one whose hand we hold, the one who's going to change us one day and give us a brand new body. Hallelujah. So there's some secret things I don't know about. I don't think heaven's going to be a place where we simply sing, rest, worship, play a golden harp. It says in 1 Corinthians, it would be nice to know how to play a golden harp, but 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve says, well, for right now, we just look through this mirror or glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. God fully knows me, but I don't fully know him. But hallelujah, one day when I'm in his presence, I'm going to be changed. You're going to be changed, and we're going to be like him. Hallelujah. And when we're like him, there's going to be perfect vision. There's going to be perfect knowledge. There's going to be perfect communication and com communication and communion with the Lord. And at this point, I would like to add, there is going to be perfect and unceasing service. Just in case you thought you were on holidays for eternity, you know. I mean, there's a vast universe out there. I don't know what's out there. The scientists don't. No one really knows too much about what's out there. But it's a pretty big place. And I think he's got some work for us to do besides planet Earth, I think. Luke chapter 19 gives us a little glimpse into this possibility. It's a parable. It's talking about ten people, each giving, get, being given a mina, which is a money, and they were told to go and invest it. Well, one person invested his mina, and he got ten more. One invested his mina, and he got five more. And one didn't invest it. But this is what it, it picks up here. When, Jesus, when the person who gave the money returned... Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they, had been, what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten mina more. And he said to him, well done, good, and servant, good servant. And then look at what he says. Because you have been faithful in a little, you're going to have authority over ten cities. What? That's what it says. And the one who was faithful and brought back five mina, five cities. Well, I don't know how to interpret that other than the fact that I think there's some things for us to do out there. And this ship right now, whether I like it or not, is not out in the boundless ocean getting beaten around by storms. It's tied down. And in this body or this ship, is built for a life that has endless wonders. Hallelujah. Unlimited possibilities, limitless possibilities. Hallelujah. Life beyond here, more beyond than we could ever imagine, as it says. So what does that mean? I just think it means that God's got some work for us to do just to make sure 
It's not just one place. Revelation chapter 7 says about this great multitude of people that nobody can number. They're around the throne and the Lamb. And it says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and will serve him day and night in his temple. Serve him. Not worship him, although we will do a lot of that, but serve him. I think our work's not over, folks. Amen? We're just getting ready for our enthronement. We are going to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. He has a vast and great plan for us. And how earthbound we get when, we st- when we're on this earth for these few short hours compared to eternity. And now we are either making or we're going to mar a crown, right? And so God says, Will you just serve me now? I have, some pos- I have some amazing things for you to discover once that ship is let out, into that, out of that harbor into the endless ocean. Well, I'm just going to go ahead to the end. I think the final feast that God has postponed has been postponed I'm talking about that great marriage feast of the Lamb at the end of the church age. It's just postponed until the last soul has been gathered in. Amen? There's still lots of people that I'd like to see around that banqueting hall. Wouldn't you? So let's return to our duties. Let's just not talk about heaven like a pie in the sky and we'll just wait around until it all happens. We've been called to life on earth, and it does go so quickly, doesn't it? So let's fix our eyes on the Lord, wait for his coming, and the establishment of his reign of righteousness on the world. And while those that have died before us are waiting, they're serving. And while we are serving, we are waiting for his return. And so let us work together. I think of Warden as a church, what we have become in Christ And as a church, as a deposit, a taste, these wonderful things that God has done through this church is only a taste and a beginning of what what it'll be like in the new creation. You know, there's an old Spanish coin. There's a couple of them around. They came from a time when the Spanish ruled the Mediterranean. At that time, the Spanish thought, there's a picture of it there. They they thought this was where they ruled the world. This Roman Empire is now... They're the down and they're the strongest. And so they made this coin and they took the pillars of Hercules. They put them up and they said, no bore beyond. I mean, the world as they knew it was the Mediterranean Sea and they were the rulers of the world. So they made this coin up. Well, little did they know that one of their own, Christopher Columbus, would come along a little bit later and guess what he did? <laughs> of course, he discovered there's a world beyond this Mediterranean And so he discovered it. So you know what they did? They took those coins, and they changed it. And they took it off, and they said, I think there's a picture of the coin up there coming. Basically, they said, more beyond. Not no more beyond, more beyond. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's more beyond than we could ever, ever imagine. Praise God. So much more. So that story, which is history, is like a parable you know, that we are perpetually doing in what we're perpetually doing in life. We're looking for some limit, some ending, some goal, and there we place the pillars 
of Hercules. And we say, I know what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> and we say, there's no more beyond this. We've got it all figured out. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. And there's things he has not revealed to us yet. Amen. Heaven is going to be so spectacular. That it would just blow our minds if we only had an idea. How long is eternity? I might have told you this before, but because I like it, I'll do it again. It's just, uh, I, I Canadianized this American story of how long it is. Imagine a dove here living in on Toronto, Ontario. And this dove flies across Quebec. New Brunswick lands on the shore of PEI. And when it gets to PEI, it takes one of those grains of sand off the shores of PEI and begins its flight back across New Brunswick, Quebec, Ontario, Manitoba, comes to Saskatchewan. And on the flat plains of Saskatchewan, that dove lays down that grain of sand. Well, a thousand years later, a thousand years later, that same dove, still living, makes his way all the way to PEI. He comes all the way to PEI, and guess what he does? He takes another grain of sand, and he flies all the way across this beautiful part of the country, past Manitoba, all the way to Saskatchewan. And what does it do? It lays that grain of sand beside the other one. Every 1,000 years, the dove makes the same trip. And eventually, the stack begins to grow. And it becomes like a stack of sand. And then the preacher said, my friend, my friend, when that stack of sand gets as high as mighty Mount Everest, eternity will just begin. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a great way to look at eternity? It's just going to be forever and ever and ever. So if you've heard it before from me, well, that's all right. I did it again anyway. So who is a God like this that we serve today? who pardons sin, forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't stay angry forever. He delights to show mercy. He will have compassion on us again, and he'll hurl all iniquities into the depths of the sea. One of my favorite verses, and I think it has to do with the song that we used to sing, that George Tonks taught us. God took away our yesterdays and freed us from our sins. And in that home and glory... He'll never mention them. In the land far away, they'll always stay in that deep sea called forget. God took away my yesterdays, the moment that we met. It's a beautiful little chorus we used to sing back in the 70s to a 70s tune, so I won't do it for you today. But anyway, then George would say with a glint in his eye, and he put up a sign and said, no fishing. Isn't that great? No fishing. The sins are not to be remembered again. There's no fishing in that sea called forget. Praise the Lord. Worship team is coming now. <coughs> Pardon me. As they do. I want to just read some words from a missionary, a poem from a missionary, C.T. Studd, a cricketer, a pioneer missionary to China, India, and in Africa. A couple of the lines from this poem some of you will recognize. I remember them growing up on the wall of my grandmother's home. I'm not sure how much they meant to her, but they sure hit me between the eyes and I never forgot them. It says, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, 
bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice. Bidding me selfish aims to leave, to God's holy will to cleave, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Let me say thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only, I go to the last slide because I've lost my place here. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life burned out for thee. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Let's worship. There's been just a wonderful presence of the Lord here today as we worshiped. I've sensed his presence and in our lives in my life, I should say, and in this service. Hallelujah. Only one life. It's soon going to be gone, isn't it? While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there might be someone here today who hasn't settled things with the Lord, and you know if you die tonight, you're really not sure whether you're going to go to heaven, but you would like to make things right with you and God today. And so you put up your hand. I'll pray for you, and you come talk to me after the service. How many here just raise your hand and say, yes, I would like to receive Jesus as my Savior. I'm not ready to die. If I did die, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but you want prayer today. How many here would raise their hand and say, that's me? Hallelujah. Jesus, I pray that you'd seal your word in our hearts. Encourage us through this word today, we pray. And Lord, we think of the words of the angel to Mary. Gabriel said, you know, you will have a son, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Hallelujah. It will never end. Hallelujah. We belong to that everlasting kingdom. Isn't that worth getting excited about? Hallelujah. God bless you.